Sleep for Performance Radio. Today we are going to have Sleep for Performance Radio Science Review. So these are going to be some small episodes that we're going to do in between seasons where we pick a paper or a topic and we review that paper and just let people know about what's going on. So if you haven't listened to the podcast before, my name is Ian Dunikin. You can follow me on Twitter at Sleep for Perform or go to sleepforperformance.com.au to find our website, or you can subscribe to Sleep for Performance Radio, wherever you get your podcasts, Podbean, iTunes, and so on. So, our very first episode of the Sleep for Performance Science Review. So, this is a very interesting paper in a, in a demand that I like. So, I grabbed myself a nice cup of tea, glass of water, sat down and had to read this paper. And now I have another cup of tea sitting here giving you this info. So this paper was by Richard Swinburne, and the paper is titled The Effects of Sleep Extension on Sleep Performance, Immunity and Physical Stress in Rugby Players. And it's published in a journal called Sports, and it was published in 2018 in May of this year. Now, the good thing about this journal article is that it is an open access, peer-reviewed um, article. Now, if you don't know what that means, is that it goes through the normal scientific review, uh, peer-reviewed, so it goes to a anywhere from two to four experts to get reviewed and gets comments back to the author. The author makes those changes and they kind of converse with these reviewers who are normally blinded to the authors, and then the paper gets published. Open access means that anybody can look at the paper. You don't have to pay to look at this paper or read it or look at any aspect of it. It's completely free. So if you go down to the show notes on this web on this episode, on your device, you can just click on the paper and have a read of the whole paper yourself. So my quick review on this is not the be-all and end-all or an exhaustive, perfect review. You may read it and have different ideas or different things on it, and I may get some things wrong, but that's okay. Um, and if you do pick up something different that you got out of it, please let me know, and you can email me at iandunican at sleepforperformance.com.au. So let's uh, grab our cup of tea, sit back, and get into this paper. All right, let's dig into it. The effects of sleep extension on sleep, performance, immunity, and physical stress in rugby players. So we all know that rugby is a very much a combat type or contact type sport. Maybe not so much combat, but depending on the game, I suppose, but would have similar characteristics. Um, so in this study, they had 25 players. So fairly young in comparison. Well, in comparison to probably me. Uh, they were 25 years of age on average. Their height was 187, so about 6 foot 2 or so in the old money, and they weighed about 105 kilos on average, plus or minus 12 kilos. So pretty big guys involved in this one, um, as with most rugby players. So these were all full-time professional rugby players. This was, this was their job. So what did they do in this study, or what were they trying to achieve? Well, they were looking at, I suppose, first of all, when we read through the introduction, we read the study design, we see that they wanted to characterize sleep in these athletes. And in addition, they also wanted to look at the efficacy of a sleep extension program. So if we increase sleep, 
or the time in bed, does that result in a positive effect? So do these athletes basically sleep more? Do they have lower measures of cortisol? Is their immunoglobulin better in term, which is an antibody, which will help with fighting off infection? And also as well, what's going to happen to the reaction time? So that was really kind of what we're trying to look at in a nutshell here. So when we dig down into the methods of this paper, which you can uh, click on in the link within the podcast notes or the show notes, as I said, we can go into more descriptive stats of these players and the design uh, of the study and what, and what occurred so one of the first things they did do was they looked at um, some subjective assessments of sleep using paper-based or questionnaire-based type um, um, survey instruments, if you want to call them those. One was the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, often referred to as the PSQI, and they also administered the daytime sleepiness, um, which was the Epward Sleepiness Scale or questionnaire. So these are two kind of you know fairly well validated questionnaires that are used in the general population uh, for assessing you know issues around sleep now in terms of their efficacy around use in athletes it's probably questionable uh, i know on some of my work i didn't find much with the upward sleepiness scale and not too sure how many other people may use it in, for athletes and there's been no kind of independent validation in athletes done with these questionnaires they've all been in general population or those with sleep disorders so you know there might be some questions around the validity of those um however there's still good questionnaires to ask always gives you some good information on what's going on with the with the subjects or with the individuals within the study now what was really good here um was um the actigraphy so they use the actigraph device um which is the wgt3xp for those of you who are very particular on which device was used and um you know, this is a well-validated device that um, people wear and has been validated against polysomnography and has been validated against other devices. In actual fact, uh, a study I had published earlier this year, we had this device uh, compared and contrasted against the ReadyBand. And this device actually did very similar to the ReadyBand against polysomnography in the laboratory. So a fairly decent device um, to be to be used in any sort of population, um, depending on sort of cost and, and the application as well. So when we look at um, some of the measures that were extracted as well, we were, they were looking at total time in bed, sleep latency, which is a measure to fall asleep, um, sleep duration, so that's the time you actually slept overnight, number of awakenings, which is also referred to sometimes as a fragmentation index, and uh, wake after sleep onset, so that's the, that's the amount of time you spent awake, and also sleep efficiency, that's the, so like a quality measure really of your sleep overnight. They also took saliva samples on day four and the final day of this 18-day control phase and on day three and day 19 of the 19-day sleep extension intervention. Um, and like I said earlier on, that was used to analyze the salivary IgA, immunoglobulin A, cortisol, and amylase. A-M-Y-L-A-S-E. I will probably butcher most of these names. I have trouble speaking English, never mind pronouncing some of these scientific names. I know that's weird as a scientist, but unfortunately that's the way it is. Um, I will try to learn some of them. <laughs> uh, 
They also measure reaction times here using the PVT or the psychovigilance motor testing, um, which has been around for a long time. And this comes in a three minute, five minute or 10 minute test. Now, if you look at Madison Jones' work, um, who did her PhD at UWA and was on one of the earlier podcasts, Maddie actually validated the PVT for use in female basketball athletes looking at the three, five and 10 minute test. And if memory serves me right, because I was on that study, the five minute is a pretty good test to use. Um, and can be used with the athletes. Three minutes, probably not so much, but five minutes can be used. And in this particular study here, the five-minute PVT was used um, and as a substitute for the 10-minute PVT. And obviously, the reasons being 10 minutes is longer than five. If you're doing that like a couple of times a day or a number of times over a study, it just becomes a bit of a pain in the backside for people uh, to use. Now, what's really cool about this study was the statistical analysis, and I kind of laughed and smiled to myself when I when I read this, is because we all get crazy on to which kind of modeling to use, SAS or everything. What did this team do here? Excel. Excel spreadsheets for analysis of pre-post control trials. So, you know, there is a, a whole plethora of statistical testing you can do in Excel, and that's what these guys did. And it's great because you don't need any fancy licenses and you can do just as much or just as good stuff in Excel. So it was really great to see an Excel spreadsheet being used here in some of the tests. So more importantly, what, what did they find? What did the team find on this one? So time in bed. So for the control group, time in bed went down. But time in bed went up for the intervention group. We call them the intervention group because it was the sleep extension group. So increased in time. And they were trying to just strive here for 10 hours in bed. In both groups, sleep latency went down. And that was a statistical significance between those two periods, or those two phases, sorry, the control and the intervention. So sleep latency went down. Sleep duration went down in the control group, but went up in the uh, intervention. Wake after sleep onset went up in both groups. And this was a statistical difference compared to their baseline. So basically, throughout the whole study, they increased wake after sleep onset. Now, although statistically significant, you've got to ask yourself, is that really clinically significant? So just because there's statistical significance of a finding in a paper does not always mean that it's, it's negative. So when we look here at the numbers, we see in the control um, that it went from 103 minutes, 103 minutes. It was actually quite high anyway to 113. So nearly up to two hours. And you see in the sleep extension, it went from 93 to 99. So whilst there's statistical differences uh, in the, sorry, in the sleep extension group, um, not in the control, you know, they wouldn't give me big cause for concern when I'm looking at individual players. I'd have to look at individual data within those to see what was going on. Now, due to some dropouts, there was only 18 players here in this um, actigraphy from the 25 that started off. So there was, was some dropouts here, which is understandable in a, in a, in a field-based study. Fragmentation index as well, or number of awakenings, also went up as well, which you, would, you may see, not always, in conjunction with the wake-after-sleep onset. Um, but again, 28 to 30, and 28 to 31 in the control group. So sleep extension, 28 to 30, and the control group, 28 to 31. So again... Statistically significant, but is it clinically significant? And is it really affecting um, the guys as well here in this study? When we look at saliva analysis, cortisol as well was uh, increased in... Sorry, cortisol was slightly increased in the control group from week one 
to week three. Um, and sleep extension group had a decline in their cortisol. So interesting there to see that, you know, those guys trying to achieve more sleep had a decrease in cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And also as well, you can see here with the immunoglobulin that in the control group, slight increase, but not statistically significant, and a slight increase in the sleep extension, but not statistically significant as well. So, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting there. But there was a statistical finding or difference in the cortisol there. When we look at reaction times, so how quick or slow were they? We can see that in the players, after the sleep extension, there was improvements in reaction time. So basically, they got faster. Um, and so we, we call that a decrease, a decrease in mean reaction time, which means they're actually getting faster. So it's not actually, it's not bad. So this study was there to, sorry, this study was aiming to present um, the characteristics of, of, you know, sleep in elite rugby players and characterize the sleep quantity and so on and determine what changes or effects that would have on immune function and stress hormone secretion and look at the efficacy of a sleep extension intervention during a pre-season training program. So as I said, you could see, and as the authors say here in the discussion, this extending the time in bed or giving them the, the lofty goal of 10 hours in bed resulted in a greater increase in time in bed, increase in sleep duration, and an increase in sleep quality, um, and also a decrease in physiological stress and improved reaction time compared to the control. Now, it didn't do anything to the self-reported measures of daytime sleepiness, and it didn't do anything to um, sympathetic nervous system activity. So... You know, the authors go on here to compare and contrast their research against other um, sleep extension studies, um, such as the one conducted by Sherry Mai a few years ago with sleep extension and basketball players, which had, um, you know, a number of positive increases there in reaction time, uh, shooting accuracy for basketball players, um, and also self-reported measures of sleep as well, all improved and so on. So, again, you can click on the link in the... Uh, podcast notes here and get into this yourself but really when you look at this you know this is one of these papers that is really trying to push us to see how can sleep be used as a, a performance or a, an ergogenic aid um, so to speak and and this is really kind of heading in the right direction and these studies are really really interesting so we do see that you know the sleep um, extension program did result in better more sleep and better quality or beneficial changes in the stress hormone and changes for the better in reaction time as well. So really, you know, everything was moving in a positive direction. And in terms of the study design, it's pretty good. You know, I've collected a number of different um, data points across saliva, wrist actigraphy, subjective questionnaires, and so on. And, you know, and there's always a there's always a plethora or a million things you can do in these studies. But I think this study was a really interesting one. And... Um, the authors, um, you know, I commend you on it. So it was Richard Swinburne from the Faculty of Sport and Recreation um, from Auckland University of Technology, which is in New Zealand. Joanna Miller from the Singapore Sport Institute in Singapore. Uh, Daniel, Daniel's, sorry, I got that wrong. Joanna Miller is from the Physiology Department, Australian Institute of Sport. Um, and as I was reading that, I knew I was getting it wrong. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Richard, sorry, is affiliated with Singapore Sport Institute as well. Daniel Smart is with the Sports Research Institute in New Zealand. Um, Deborah Kay Dulson is with the Faculty of Sport and Recreation at Auckland University of Technology, Auckland, and is with the Sports Research Institute of New Zealand. And finally, Nicholas Gill, Faculty of Health, Sport and Human Performance at the University of Waikato, Hamilton, New Zealand. So this paper was uh, published on the 10th of May 2008, and as I said, you can click on the link in the show notes and you can read the entire paper for yourself. And plenty of reference in there. So that concludes the first episode of a sleep for, sleep for performance science review. So I'm going to try and get at least one of these episodes out each week and hopefully we can get two papers into this if I can tidy up my ramblings and crazy thoughts. Uh, yeah. Now, before we go, just a couple of things on um, social media. Um, if you're looking for somebody to follow in terms of sleep and sport, check out Dr. Amy Bender, who was on season two of Sleep for Performance Radio. She's making some really interesting posts on Instagram and on Twitter, at Sleep for Sport. And she recently addressed the controversial 90-minute cycles of sleep. And she's got some great information up there. And she's been giving lots of talks in North America around this. Not all 90 minutes of sleep are equal. So you can't plan your sleep in 90-minute blocks. Um, and, you know, we need to be careful about that and not be cherry-picking out some information to suit. And so um, Amy has some really interesting posts, posts on that and some graphs as well, the individual differences in sleep using polysomnography. So if you're looking for someone to follow on Twitter or Instagram, head over to at sleep for sport Okay, until next week, sleep well.